And we will be in Proverbs 15 today, Proverbs 15. We're in that fun section of the year where we just wrapped up a sermon series that led into Easter. Then and next week we've got the anniversary Sunday, so I was trying to figure out kind of where we want to go, and we'll probably start a new sermon series after uh, our anniversary uh, Sunday, more than likely. Uh, but this week, as I was reading through different things in, in my devotions, came across a verse in Proverbs 15 and prayed over that and, and to believe it's where the Lord wants us to be this morning. As we look at a few verses, we'll actually look at most of the verses in Proverbs 15, but let's just read as a starting point. I'm sorry I don't have a joke for you today. Um, I know, I know. Hiss. Um, knock, knock. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't have anything. I'm, I'm apologize. Um, I thought about it last night, actually, and then my wife mocked me for the jokes that I've been telling, and then I was so depressed, I just didn't, I stopped, stopped looking. Um, <laughs> Proverbs 15, look in verse number 13. The Bible says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. This morning I'd like us to look at really two things about the heart. A merry heart and an understanding heart are the two things I want us to look at this morning and then we'll break for lunch. Lord, we do thank you for letting us come this morning. We thank you for this passage of Scripture, for this Proverbs uh, chapter 15 that is encouraging and, and uplifting. And God, I pray that you would help us, that we would uh, be able to be people that show a merry heart and an understanding heart to the world around us. And God, I pray that we would learn this morning from these verses. God, I pray that you'd help me as I present them, that I would do it in a way that is clear, in a way that is correct. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We talk about the heart a lot, of course. Uh, as I've mentioned many times, um, the most uh, well-known sermon that Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Mount, many times talks about the heart. It's what God cares about. It's the most important thing that God cares about is your heart. He, he appreciates, I, I would say, your actions, but if your heart's wrong, your good actions mean nothing to God. And so God cares about what your heart is like. And in this passage, we see specifically mentioned a merry heart, and an understanding heart. And so as I looked at the rest of the chapter, there's so many good verses in, in Proverbs 15 that we could spend a lot of time on. We're not going to spend much time on one verse, but we'll look briefly at most of them this morning. I want us to start with point number one, a merry heart. And we see it mentioned there in verse 13 and verse number 15. As it says in verse 13, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. And in verse 15 it says, a merry heart hath a continual feast. Now, we're Baptists, and at least I am, and I think that we would all agree that Baptists like continual feasts, uh, hence the potluck lunches every week, and uh, uh, most Baptist churches have some kind of association with meals, one way or another. They're having meals at some point. Some do it on the fifth Sunday of the month, some do it uh, once a quarter, some do it for events, whatever it may be. We do it every week, but uh, we're really Baptists, but uh, nonetheless... A continual feast, hey, that sounds good, that sounds right, uh, that sounds like something I want to be a part of. Well, the Bible says a merry heart hath a continual feast, obviously not talking about food uh, there, but we'll get to that in a second. 
I want us to look here uh, at the fact that a merry heart produces a cheerful countenance. A merry heart produces a cheerful countenance. Proverbs 17:22 says, "A merry heart doeth good like a medicine." Um, we see in the importance of a of a of a spirit that is cheerful. In order for you to have a cheerful countenance, you have to first have a cheerful heart, a merry heart. In order for you to be on the outward cheerful, you have to be on the inward cheerful. Now you say, well, that's not true. I can put on a show. I, a lot of times we'll put on a smile and people will think everything's fine. I understand that, but that's temporary. It's not something you can do forever. Uh, to have a true, godly, cheerful countenance on the exterior, you have to have a truly uh, a merry heart on the interior uh, of your life as well. A sorrowing heart produces a broken countenance. As it says in verse 13, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but a sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Nehemiah 2.2, we looked at this uh, several weeks ago, but Nehemiah, who was uh, broken for his people, he had heard the report that uh, uh, the city was, the walls were broken down and the people were under different uh, uh, circumstances, and he was sad, and he went to the king to go ask him for help. And as he approached the king, verse 2 of Nehemiah 2 says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. You see, a, a heart that is broken is going to produce a countenance that is broken as well. You see it all the time, right? You walk into work and a coworker is down. And you ask the old, the old uh, phrase, why the long face? Uh, you're asking, what's wrong? Are you okay? Those sorts of things. Or maybe you don't ask at all and you're just rude and you just stand there and stare and wonder what's wrong with that person. But nonetheless, we see someone with a broken countenance, with a sad face. And we understand that their heart is obviously not merry at that time. Something is wrong inside why would we have as the bible says a sorrowing heart there are a number of reasons why it may be some of the most obvious reasons are loss when we lose someone that we love uh, when we lose something that we love whatever it may be that it will cause a sorrow of the heart i still remember vividly the passing of both of my grandmothers uh, my, my dad's mom passed away when I was a freshman in college. It was the second day I was at school, and I got a call from, from my dad. And, uh, and then I remember as well, just five years ago, I believe now, uh, Thanksgiving time, Tuesday before Thanksgiving, my grandmother, my mom's mom, passed away. And I just remember the, the sadness that came with that, the sorrow that came with it. I've been very fortunate in my life uh, to not have many losses, but the ones that I've had, obviously, they broke. It broke me. It was a, a sad time. There's discouragement that can cause sorrowing of heart. Things in life, circumstances not going the way you thought they would go, that can bring great sadness and great hurt along the way. Um, I'll, tell you, and I'll tell you more about it next week, so I don't want to share too much about it, but there were times in the process of starting this church that it was very discouraging. And along that way, and you make you sit there and, and sit in a room and cry and just say, God, what is happening here? Uh, this is supposed to be easier. Uh, this is supposed to go better. And, uh, and, and that discouragement that comes can bring a sorrow of heart. A guilt is something that can bring sorrow of heart. Sin in our life that weighs heavy on us and, 
and our countenance is broken because our heart is not merry, and our heart is not merry because of guilt of sin in our life. It can cause uh, great, uh, great uh, sorrow in our heart. Verse 6 of Proverbs 15 says, In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. Verse 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. And that sacrifice, that idea there is religion, spiritual action. The sacrifice of the wicked uh, is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is His delight. Uh, You remember back to the beginning of the Bible, Cain. He brought a sacrifice to God, an offering to God, and it's not what God asked for. And we say, well, what was wrong with Cain's offering? It wasn't that his offering in itself was wicked. It was that it was not what God asked him for. And so God looked at that offering and He rejected it from Cain. And Cain, of course, got very angry. His countenance fell. You remember uh, the story of King Saul. He was supposed to wait for Samuel and uh, for, for the sacrifice. He did not do so. He went ahead and did it himself. And his thinking was, is, well, Samuel wasn't here, so I went ahead and did it. But the instruction was, you wait for Samuel. And God rejected that sacrifice. It's not what he wanted. Verse 10 says, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that, re- uh, he that hateth reproof shall die. You see, guilt over sin, or sin itself, can cause a sorrow of heart. Um, uh, verse 15, the Bible says, uh, All the days of the afflicted are evil. The afflicted there is talking about those of a sorrowing heart those that do not have a merry heart, those that are not living in a joyful spirit with a merry heart. The afflicted here, by sorrowing heart, those people, it says the days are evil, not the people. The days are evil. It's, it's, it's hardship. It's struggle. Those sorts of things. Ecclesiastes 5.17 says, All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Job 21.25 says, and another, um, oh, that's, uh, you know, when the computer fixes the words for you that you meant to type in a, a Bible word and it changes it. So I don't know what that word's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be diet. I know that. Um, but, hey, diets can give you a sorrow of heart, can't they? <laughs> uh, I think it's another dieth in bitterness of his soul and never eateth with pleasure the idea of sorrow in heart Um, have you ever seen someone at school or at work that's kind of sitting off by themselves and every time you see them you 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 characterize them as someone who is always down someone who is depressed someone who is a loner someone who just kind of hides by themselves and they never look happy They're never smiling, they're never joyful, any of those kinds of things. And that's what it's talking about here. The days are evil, the the days of the afflicted, the days of those with a sorrowing heart are evil. They they are in darkness, they are alone. Um, And and that is that sorrow of heart that comes along with all kinds of things that can bring it. We just mentioned loss, discouragement, and guilt, but there are so many other things that can bring that sorrowing of heart. And God says that a merry heart... Uh, uh, produces or maketh a cheerful countenance. And so how do we get a merry heart? How do we have that joy inside 
so that we can produce it on the outside and it not be fake and phony. The older you get, the more you recognize the fake joy, don't you? As a kid, you can look at your parents and think, boy, well, I don't know if your parents were this way or not, but if your parents were happy and you look at that and now you've grown up and you've gone through experience, you thought, how in the world could they have been smiling when they had to pay bills and go through these different things that they had to go through and things like that? So as a, the younger you are, the more you can be faked out by fake joy, fake cheerfulness. But the older you get, the more you realize that person's not real. That joy, that smile on their face, that's not real. They're hurting. You begin to sense that. A mother's intuition, I don't have it, but uh, a mother's intuition can oftentimes sense when something's going on with somebody. And here we see the, we, we want a merry heart. We want to have a cheerful countenance, but how do we do it? Well, I believe this, and please listen when I say it, and don't take me out of context on this. But I believe that a sorrowing heart is often, please catch that word often, a choice. A sorrowing heart is often a choice. Not always. I, I, I've said this many a times. I don't understand depression. I don't. Um, it's not something that I've ever dealt with. I don't, I don't understand it. I, I, I've kind of, the way that I live my life I've, for a long time, in the early days of me pastoring, I actually said some things about depression that I wish I could take back. Um, because I just didn't understand it. I was ignorant about it. And so I thought, well, if, if I haven't been depressed, then surely no one else should have had to been depressed either. And, uh, and so I said some things about medication and different things that, that I, I shouldn't have said. And so when I, I'm saying the sorrowing heart is often a choice, I please want you to understand that I'm not, uh, I'm not bashing anyone who's not, had, who's not had moments in their life where they've had sorrowing of heart and they say, well, it wasn't a choice for me. I'm not arguing that, I promise. But oftentimes, many times, a sorrowing heart is a choice that we make. Now, we don't think of it that way, right? We don't go, well, I've been sad for a month, and, uh, and I chose to be sad for a month. Now, I've had times, I've had arguments before with a certain someone who told me, I just want to be upset for a while. Can you leave me alone? Um, And I've learned over time that that's okay, um, as opposed to trying to argue more. Uh, but see, you see, it's, it's a choice that's made. It's, I have this bad habit of, uh, I say bad habit, I guess it's good, I don't know. But when I do something wrong, and I realize I've done something wrong, and I realize that someone else knows I've done something wrong, I don't try to hide it anymore, and I just finally fess up to it and ask for forgiveness. And, and then the next second, I could be fine with the world not everybody's like that and so even when everything is handled and solved and, and okay with sometimes it's still a choice to be made of I'm not quite done with my process of handling it yet right so it's a choice sorrowing of heart is, is similar in that way oftentimes we choose to have a down spirit a, a an unmerry heart because we have chosen, we want, to la want it to last a little bit longer, or we don't want to take care of the issue that's causing the sorrowing heart. Look in verse 1. The Bible says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. By the words and the things that we choose to say, we sometimes choose to have a sorrowing heart, or we choose to cause other people to have a sorrowing heart. By the way that we speak, Verse number 4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, 
but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Again, the way that we talk, the things that we say, the way that we act can, can continue to have us choosing a down spirit, a sorrowing heart. Verse 6, And the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. That revenues, where is your revenue at? What are you seeking? By seeking that which is wrong, we are choosing a sorrowing heart. Verse number 8, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Are we choosing to sacrifice to religious action to act a certain way or are we choosing to go to God in prayer and living the life that God chooses for us to live by choosing the wrong we choose sorrowing of heart we choose hardships because we don't want to do what God wants us to do we choose uh, prolonged trials because we don't want to choose uh, God's way of getting out of the trial Again, it's not something that we would, if we had it sitting in front of us, choice A, choice B, we would probably choose right most of the time if it was just that simple of seeing, if you choose choice A, this is going to be the circumstance. If you choose choice B, this is going to be the circumstance. Most, cho- most times we'll choose correctly, but that's not the way we look at it, right? And so we continually make wrong choices, which lead to a sorrowing of heart. Verse number 10 says, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. Accepting correction. Verse 32, uh, towards the end of the chapter, says, He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. Have you ever been told a way that you know is better, but you've just been stubborn and said, I'm not going to do it? Someone's given you some advice, and you say, I know that advice is right, but it's just not what I want to do. It's a choice, right? A choosing, which is going to lead to more hardships, yet we still choose it. Verse number 16. uh, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Priorities. What are we seeking? And a choice to seek earthly pleasures, we end up choosing a sorrowing heart. Have you ever met a family that was divided, and the reason they were divided is because one person in the family chose to spend all their time away from their family. Work, 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 and well, you don't understand, I'm doing it for you, and and I'm trying to get all this money so that we can live the life that we want to live and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, but if you're abandoning your God-called role in the home, you're going to end up choosing the wrong thing. And uh, so it's that seeking what is right that will help us have a merry heart as opposed to a sorrowing heart. Verse 18, A wrathful man stirreth up strife. He that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. It's a choice. Am I going to stir it up or am I going to settle it down? We cause all these problems because we've got to be right or because we've got to be heard or whatever it may be, and we stir up wrath instead of causing less issues. Verse 19, The way of the slothful man is an hedge of thorns. The way of the righteous is made plain. Laziness will cause sorrowing of heart. Verse 19, uh, excuse me, verse 23. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Again, looking at the mouth and what we say. Verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. Again, our choice of what we allow into our minds what we allow to uh, infest our lives. 
Verse 27, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. Listen, that greedy of gain, it's what the world tells us to do. What the world teaches, you've got to have more. There's never enough. I've never met a rich person who is content with what they have. They want more. I've never met a poor person who is content with what they have either. Everybody wants more. That's what the world teaches. That's what's natural. But greed, I have to have. I won't be happy until I have. I've got to get it. I've got to get it. And we work and we work and we work to get that greed of gain. It says it's trouble in his own house. Sorrowing heart is often a choice that we make. It's oftentimes making the wrong choice that leads to a sorrowing heart. But a merry heart bringeth a cheerful countenance. You ever met someone who's always happy? They are so annoying. Uh, Always happy. No matter what's going on, smile on their face, they're chipper, uh, they're cheerful, all those kinds of things. And man, you just you sit there and you just wonder, what, you know, what can I do to make that person not smile? Um, that's, a, that's a scary place to be in life. But nonetheless, we all have met those, those few people in the world that are just always happy. You know, I, you think, I don't, I don't want to be that happy, but I want to be happy. Right? I, I want to be cheerful. I want to have... What is right, God desires for us to be a light in the world. We can't be a light if we are darkness. Now, when we're talking about light and darkness in the Bible, we're talking about sin and righteousness. But if I may uh, use it as this, when our countenance is dark, when all we are is sad and, and, and uh, a woe is me, we're going to have a hard time being a light to the community around us. It's just not going to work. They don't want more sadness. There's enough of that in the world. God is a light. He should be a light in your life, and it should show forth in your life, out of your life, of how you live, allowing that light to shine forth, but it's going to start with a merry heart. So although loss and and guilt and discouragement can cause a sorrowing heart, do your part in choosing to be merry. That's going to take a relationship with God. It's going to take knowing God. It's going to take learning about God, growing closer to God. Draw nigh to him, and he will draw nigh to you. God says, I want to be close to you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want, I want to have a, a relationship, a back and forth with you. But God says, you get to choose that. I'm not going to make you read your Bible. You get to choose that. I'm not going to make you pray. You get to choose that. God gives you the opportunity to choose a relationship with Him. How that relationship will be. God's there. He's near, always. He's close. But He waits for you. You say, well, I'm saved, so He's my Father. Great. What kind of relationship do you have with your Father? I've met many people who have a strained relationship with their earthly Father. They don't talk. Or they didn't talk, and now they can't. And man, it's sad and it's, it's discouraging to hear these, these stories of people who aren't close to their parents. I'm so thankful uh, that I'm, I'm very close with my parents. I talk to my dad four times a week at least. And uh, I don't talk to my mom as much because I let dad tell her most of the things. But I do talk to mom some as well. I'm thankful for the good relationship I have with my parents. 
you think about your relationship with God. Where's it at? Well, if he's your father, then and you have open access to the creator of the world, to the savior of the world, to the almighty, to the all-knowing, why wouldn't you spend time talking to him? You see, God is everything, and yet oftentimes we kind of push him away. You say, well, I don't have a merry heart. Then my guess is you don't have a close relationship with God. Because it's pretty hard to be close to God and not be happy about it. And listen, we're going to have bad days, right? I, I, I get it, trust me. You, most of you know me long enough, you've seen me walk in and not be happy. We're pretty good, right, at fighting in the car and then coming into church smiling and everything's great and dandy. Um, of course, me and Katie don't do that, but uh, uh, everybody has rough Sunday mornings where things don't go as planned. But listen, I'm telling you, as far as consistency goes, a right relationship with God will lead to a merry heart. And a merry heart will lead to a cheerful countenance. This world needs joy. And not joy that sports can offer. And I love sports. Not joy that money can offer. I like money. Um, only the joy that God can offer. And it's our responsibility to share that joy with other people. And if we don't have a merry heart, no matter the reason for it, we're not going to have a cheerful countenance. We're not going to be able to share the light with people around us. A merry heart bringeth a cheerful countenance, maketh a cheerful countenance. And if you want a merry heart, it's going to start with your relationship with God and where it's at. Number two this afternoon or this morning, I want us to see an understanding heart. Look in verse 14 again. The Bible says, The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge. The mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. Now, a heart that is understanding, an understanding heart, it says there in verse 14, it seeks knowledge. When you understand to any degree of who God is, it should, it should lead you to seeking more knowledge about God. Right, when we come to that understanding that God loves me, that he sent his son for me so that I could be saved, what it leads to is wanting more knowledge. Tell me more about this God. I want to know more. We get saved. The Bible teaches us that we're, we're like a babes uh, that need the milk for nourishment. So we begin to learn the essentials, the basics of God. But the longer that we go in life, we need to learn more, continue to be striving to have more knowledge of who God is. Because God, as great as salvation is, and it's the greatest thing that, that God offers us, there is so much more to God than just salvation. And so we need to seek the knowledge of who God is and learn more about Him to know what God is capable of, to know what God wants of me in my life, to know what God's calling, we use that word, is for me in my life to know God's direction for my life. I'm not going to know it if I don't seek more knowledge. An understanding heart seeks knowledge. An understanding heart uh, uses knowledge correctly. Look in verse 2. A tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. It's using what we know for truth, for telling others, for sharing. When you have a treasure... I've never had one. But if I found a treasure, you know who I would tell? 
not a soul. I don't know about you. I wouldn't tell anybody. If I won the lottery, I don't play the lottery. If I won the lottery, I wouldn't tell anybody. I mean, I tell my wife, of course. Um, and, and the guys counting the offerings would see that our, in, our, our tithe go up a bit. Uh, but uh, I'm not telling you. Why? Because then you're going to say, oh, he's rich and he's got money and he can help me. No, I'm selfish. I want it for myself. Listen, the, the treasures that God offers are meant to be shared. They're meant to be told to everybody. And my knowledge that I have of God, it's not meant to be kept to myself. It's meant to tell the world about it, to be used for righteousness, to be uh, uh, done correctly. Verse number 5, if we see an understanding heart regards reproof, a fool despiseth his father's instruction. Brett, did you hear that? A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. An understanding heart is going to regard reproof, instruction, correction. Uh, an understanding heart's going to say, oh yeah, I guess I was wrong. Oh yes, I guess I don't know everything. I'm going to receive the correction that's given to me, and I'm going to apply it to my life where it's necessary. An understanding heart disperses knowledge, verse 7. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge. Uh, I, I associate an understanding heart with a wise heart, with wisdom. When we read, of course, all through Proverbs, you see great things about wisdom, but here it says the lips of the wise disperse knowledge. Again, they're going to tell others the things that they know, not in a pious not in a I know more than you way, but a hey, I learned this. This helped me. I want to help you. Shares. Uh, an understanding heart uh, goes and seeks the counsel of wise people. Verse 12 A scorner loveth not one that repro reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. The person who doesn't have an understanding heart is going to avoid counsel. But someone with an understanding heart is going to realize. I need help. That's a hard place to be in life, especially the older we get. I need help. I don't get it. I don't know what to do. Whatever it may be, we find someone who does. No. Someone who is wise. Someone who can help. And we seek their help and their counsel. Verse 22 similarly says, Without counsel, purposes uh, are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. I became a pastor at age 26. I was not a preacher at that time. I'd been in ministry for years, but I was not a preacher. And I came into the church at, at 26 years old, um, and I was about to turn 27. And I came in thinking, these people, they're nice people, they're sweet people, they're kind people, um, but they just don't get it, and I'm going to teach it to them. Now, <laughs> uh, they didn't get it, by the way, but I didn't teach it to them either. Um, we, were all, we all needed to grow, and we did, once we realized we needed each other, once we realized that none of us knew it all, and once we realized that uh, together we could do what God wanted us to do, and alone we could not. And uh, I began finally to seek counsel, ask other pastors, ask uh, men in the church that I, that I found as wise, and got advice and, and wisdom from them which helped me develop into the perfect pastor that I am today. Um, I still seek counsel. Those conversations I had with my dad 
uh, four to five times a week. Half of it's sports and the other half is counsel. We talk about everything. Um, he shares with me, it's, it's crazy to think this, he asks me for advice. And I give him my advice. And I ask him for advice. And he gives me advice. I have other pastors. I, I, I am at the rare point in life that I don't have a pastor. The pastor that I was ordained under, the pastor that helped us start this church, he's no longer in ministry. And the pastor of that church I've never met. But I have lots of friends that are pastors or, or guys that I look up to that are pastors. And I still reach out to them. And seek counsel because thankfully I've come to the point in my life where I realize I need help. There are things that as, uh, in your life that you've been through that frustrate you. And there are certain people you can't go to about those frustrations. Find someone who's wise. Find someone who's been there. Find someone who you, who you believe can be helpful. Ladies, you, I'm telling you, I think you know this, but you are blessed with a phenomenal pastor's wife. And Katie's willingness to take time and help is something that, that honestly just isn't in every church. It's in a lot of them, but it's not in every church. And Katie is, is so unselfish and so willing to help. If you ever want counsel, you just give her a call or a text, and she'll be happy to help. And if she can't, if she doesn't know how, she'll find a way. I, as your pastor, don't know everything. There will be questions you ask that I won't know the answer to. It might take me weeks or months to figure it out. It might take me making a phone call to someone else and asking them, but if you need help, I will do everything I can to help. Far greater than any person in this world, you have God that you can go to and you can seek and you can ask. The Bible says in speaking to Christians, knock and the door will be open unto you. Seek and ye shall find. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking about salvation in those passages. He's saying, you need wisdom? He says, I'll give it to you liberally, as much as you want and more, if you'll just ask. Now see, an understanding heart will seek counsel, whether it be from wise people or people that you trust, people that you think you can get good counsel from, or from God himself, of course, as well. Then we see in verse number 20, uh, look at verse number 20. It says, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. An understanding heart is going to lead to happy parents. You know, the Bible says, Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. There's a lot of discussion about exactly what that verse means, and we'll get to it one of these days, but... You see a wise son, an understanding heart, a person who is, has wisdom in their heart, understanding again of who God is and what he's capable of. It's going to lead to good decisions, which is going to lead to less disappointment. It's going to come to a point where it says there in verse 20 that a foolish man despiseth his mother. Have you ever met a parent whose child is living a life of great disappointment? I'm not talking about they didn't become the doctor that the mom wanted them to be. I'm talking about the decisions and the choices they've made in their life have ruined their life and has greatly brought great hurt to the parents as well. Every parent wants their child to succeed. Every parent wants their child to be happy. Every parent wants their child to, to live a life that, 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 that they are pleased with, that brings joy to their life, all those sorts of things. But the wrong choices lead to great disappointment. 
An understanding heart is going to be an, uh, lead to an obedient child that leads to a godly uh, individual as they grow. But it starts with getting that wisdom in our heart, having an understanding heart. Verse 21 kind of leads with that. Uh, Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. I said that sorrowing of a heart is a choice. Walking uprightly is a choice too. Doing right is a decision that you have to make. Yes, I'm going to do it, or no, I'm not. I think we understand this better as we get older, and as a kid, it's a, it's a less, it's, we just follow naturally, you know, more as a kid. But it's a choice we make. We were talking this morning about stories from college and bad choices that we made in college. If you, if you don't understand Bible college, I'll give it to you briefly. There are lots of rules, um, and they're good for the most part. They're good, but there are lots of rules put into place, and uh, it's easy to get in trouble in Bible college. Like, I talk to coworkers, and they're like, man, in college I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I was like, oh, man, I went to the movie theater. And they're like, okay. I almost got kicked out of college for that. Had I got caught, I would have gotten kicked out of college for it. And some people, they don't get that. They don't understand it, and that's fine. But there's a lot of good things about Bible college. But you get all these rules, and, 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 and I learned the decision I had to make was, am I going to follow them or am I not going to follow them? And you could say, well, what's wrong with going to the movie theater? I personally don't think there's anything wrong going to the movie theater. If you're going to watch a bad movie, that's one thing. But just going to the theater itself, that's, that's a 70s issue that, uh, that some people haven't grown out of. But nonetheless, and, I, and if you're against movie theaters, I, I hope I didn't offend you. But um, it's a building. If it's a, if it's a wholesome movie, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, nonetheless. I say all this to say this. You can argue about whether or not it's a stupid rule. But if you're in Bible college, you're supposed to follow the rules. You can be at work and there can be a rule in place from your boss and you say, that is a stupid rule. It may be the stupidest rule in the world. But while you're working there, it's your decision of whether or not you're going to follow it. And God says you're supposed to. Unless it's ungodly, you're supposed to follow it. You see... It's a choice that we make to walk uprightly, to, to walk according to what God has told us to do. And when we don't walk uprightly, it's no one else's fault but our own. An understanding heart is going to lead to correct decisions. And even when we make mistakes, an understanding heart is going to realize, I made a mistake and I need to get it right. I'm going to walk uprightly. Uh, verse 28. Uh, I'm on the wrong page. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Uh, An understanding heart is going to speak truth and not guess incorrectly. Uh, it says there, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Someone asks a question, I'm going to give them the correct answer. You know it's okay to say, I don't know. I had to learn this at age 26 my first Sunday as a pastor, um, I'll tell you the whole story because the person that this happened to doesn't listen to my sermon. Um, first Sunday as a pastor, brand new, never been a pastor before, first week there, we moved on, I think Friday or Saturday, we got the moving truck there, we were living in a fifth wheel trailer in, on the church property until we could get into the house that we bought, and uh, I mean, just there, brand new, preached my first sermon. Uh, I get done with it, 
and uh, shaking hands, things like that. And I have someone say, Pastor, I'd like to talk to you for a second, if I may. Sure. Man, I was excited. Man, first, first week as a pastor, someone's already seeking my advice. And I'm smart. I can help with this. He says, Pastor, I've got this Bible. I'm going to open a lot of can of worms here. Um, so stick to the point. Uh, I got this Bible. He says, it's a King James Bible. He said, but on the cover is the um, Mason's logo. And um, again, this, is, this cannot be solved in today's message. There's being a Mason, good, bad, whatever. Not like a work Mason, but the club, the society Masons. He says, uh, he says should, I, should I give the Bible away or should I burn it? I'm sitting there going, wait, what? Uh, I had never dove in. I still haven't dove into the, the whole society things. But nonetheless, um, I'm sitting there going, I said, I have no idea. I don't think you should burn it. I said, I don't, I don't, the, the content is still right. Um, whether or not the cover is or not, the content's good. I think someone could use it. It could be useful. It's someone else, same day, first week as a pastor, came and said, uh, um, he's paralyzed, paralyzed from the waist down and um, had been going to the doctor and seeking help, and, and the doctor told him to help with certain issues. He said he should view certain things online. And he says, is that right or wrong? And listen, clear as day in my mind, I knew that's wrong. <laughs> well, what do you say as a 26-year-old, first day as a pastor, standing in front of a guy in his 40s, uh, seeking the wisdom from his all-wise pastor? I, what, I, what I learned to do through the counsel of another pastor, even uh, sometimes it's just as easy to answer on the spot, and I should have been, but I learned to say, let me get back with you. Spend a week, pray on it. Spend a couple of days, pray on it. Find some Bible verses, and then go with a full answer as opposed to the you're an idiot answer because that doesn't go over very well. Um, and so that's why I don't think I've ever told any of you that you're idiots. Um, and, and as you have thought it about me, I'm sure I've thought it about you at some point in time. But... Uh, you know, I've learned it's okay to, to, to study to have the right answer, to have the full answer, as opposed to just spout off whatever I think, whether it's true or not. It, uh, Facebook is great, isn't it? Uh, you'll see something shared, and you'll think, no way, and then you'll realize it wasn't true to begin with. Um, I've, I've shared things on social media, and I'm thankful for good friends who will text me or call me and say, have you done any research on that? No. Well, it's all false. Here's the information that's correct. Now, delete that post. Take it down. Wisdom, an understanding heart, wants to give a right answer as opposed to just pouring out evil things, lies, things that are not true. An understanding heart knows, doesn't guess. Verse 31 and 32, The ear that heareth the reproof of a life uh, abideth among the wise, and he that refuseth instruction despises his own soul, but he that heareth reproof, reproof getteth understanding. So I have problems with that word. Understanding heart, again, seeks wisdom, seeks counsel, seeks correction when they're wrong, wants to do right, and so they seek it, and they, can, they do not uh, turn it away when it comes. Man, I tell you, it's hard when someone comes to... to um, First-time parents, right? <laughs> you have a child, everybody has advice for you. Um, we had a guy at work, they had their first child, I don't know, four, five, six months ago. 
now. And uh, when they were expecting the child, he was talking about it. I heard people giving them advice, do this, do that, you know, whatever. And I said, hey, man, and I said, for what it's worth, I said, you guys will be fine. Just do, just do what's right. Just, just do what feels right, what's natural. That's the way we're created. You'll be fine. I said, you can read all the books you want. You can listen to everybody's advice, but you're going to find what works best for you guys and go with it. You know, you got the, the babies. Uh, are you supposed to let them cry it out, or are you supposed to go hold them and cuddle them and all that kind of stuff? Everybody has their opinions on it. Uh, you know, who cares? Um, that kind of advice, that kind of instruction, it is what it is. When you're talking about someone who's going to come to you and says, hey, man, you're not being very smart. Hey, what you're doing is going to hurt your family. Hey, what you're doing is going to turn out bad. You better listen. Now, they might not give you the best advice, but you better hear what they're saying and so that you can seek more advice. I got the worst advice uh, when it comes to ministry. I got the worst advice ever from someone I respect greatly. And I remember when he gave me the advice, I thought, no, that is not right. But what it did make me do is, is look at the situation again and make sure that what I was doing was right. Seeking other counsel from other people, from a multitude of counselors, and then trying to be wise with it. Listen, I, I'm not the wisest man in the world, but I've come a long way, and I've learned to accept correction, to listen to it at the very least, and then look at it again. And if I'm right, I'm right, and I keep going. And if I'm wrong, I make the adjustments that I need to make, and I go from there. Verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. The fear of the Lord is where it all starts at, respecting, reverencing, who God is, that's the instruction of wisdom. You want an understanding heart? Fear God. And I've heard people say, that doesn't mean be terrified of God. Sure it does. Um, if you were a kid and your father was a disciplinarian and you did something wrong, did you fear your father? I sure did. When mom said, when your dad gets home from work, that wasn't something that I took lightly. In that sense, I was terrified of my dad. Now, my dad, listen, I, my dad spanked me. He didn't beat me. My dad did spank me. And everything, I, I believe everything he did was within reason and right. And the Bible talks about spanking and the importance of it. This is not a message on child-rearing today, and, and I'm not going to come into your house and tell you how to, how to raise your children. But the Bible does, does talk about the importance of disciplining your children properly, correctly, not abusively, uh, correctly, so that they will turn out correct, right. My kids say I've spanked them too much. Me and Katie both agree we haven't spanked them enough. And I mean that. I, I do. Um, but it's hard, right? It's apparent. I don't know how I got onto this. Um, fear, that's right, fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. It, it is a terrified, if I do wrong, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. I see that which is right and that which is wrong. So when I do wrong, I should be terrified of the consequences. But also it is a respect and a reverence of who God is, a proper respect of God. That's where wisdom starts. My understanding heart uh, will be better off if I'm fearing God. That's where it really starts at, by fearing God. A merry heart and an understanding heart. We need both of them. How do we get them? Uh, honestly, they both come with, starts off with the relationship we have with God. Is it right? Am I walking with God? Am I reading my Bible? Am I praying? Uh, am, I, am I doing what God desires for my life? Am I walking faithfully in the things that he's called me to do? 
That's where it all starts at. You want a, a, a cheerful countenance that's real and not fake? Have the right relationship with God. You want a heart that is correct? You have to have the right relationship with God. You say, well, I have a right relationship with God, but I have a, a hurt relationship with my spouse. Then you don't have the right relationship with God. Because if you have the right relationship with God, then you're being the husband that you're supposed to be, and you're being the wife that you're supposed to be. You're being the worker that you're supposed to be, the boss that you're supposed to be. All those things fall under, first of all, having the right relationship with God. And in doing so, everything else falls into place, including a merry heart and an understanding heart, a heart that is wise. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. Uh, God, I pray that you would help us to be what we ought to be. God, I pray that you would help us to um, have our, our interior correct, our heart, that it would be truly merry and understanding and wise God, I know that we looked at just small things today, quick things today, even though it stretched over a long period of time. God, I pray that today you've taught us something, Lord, that you've encouraged us, that you've challenged us, uh, that we would have the right heart for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I have no questions for you today. The piano's playing. Would you stand with me, please? If the Lord's spoken to you about something today, I, I, I babbled on for a while today, and I apologize. But if God spoke to you about something today, something within your heart that needs to change, something that needs to be fixed, would you take care of it right now? Would you deal with it with God? Just go to him right now and ask for his help. Seek his counsel, seek his wisdom. If you're here this morning, you say, I don't even have a relationship with God. I've never been saved, and you want to be saved today, we'd be happy to show you from the Bible how you can be saved. Uh, you can come to the front, and we'll get someone to show you. That's about you and God, and that's really it. If your relationship with God's not right, get it right. If your relationship with God is right, ask for Him to help you keep it right. 